Joining me today is the host of Pseudo Intellectual on Blaze TV and the artist formerly known as Roaming Millennial, Lauren Chen. Welcome to the Rubin Report. Thank you so much for having me. I am so stoked to be here in person to see things in real life. It's unreal. This is very bizarre because somehow we have never met in person before. And people freak when they see YouTubers on the street and now we're two YouTube people meeting for the first time. I know. I feel really weird seeing you in three dimensions. It's yeah. just unnatural. I feel like I need some sort of glass between us to yeah. bring me back to my comfort zone, but it's it's great. I, I poked you in the shoulder <laughs> before did. just to make sure you're real, because people yeah. always want to touch me to see if I'm real, <laughs> and we are real. Okay, there's a ton I want to talk to you about. Technically, you have done the Rubin Report one time. Yes. Uh, a little less than three years ago, we did a YouTube week where I was just sort of reaching out to interesting YouTubers that I thought were doing something kind of cool. And you had a small channel. I think you probably had like, you want to maybe figure it out I for me, like 30,000 yeah, subscribers? Yeah, I, I definitely, before I had passed 100,000. So yeah. it was the early days. I remember I was so nervous about that call. I had to like put my dog in the other room. I was in my <laughs> living room on my like dinky little laptop. And it was, I mean... Anytime, I hope you realize you help small YouTubers so much when you, you do those types of videos because it makes a huge difference in our followings. Yeah, cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad to do it and many yeah. people helped me before that. So, uh, so I had you on and, and you were sort of just, when we went through the list basically mm-hmm. of, of who we were going to put on, uh, your name came up a couple of times, people had recommended you. And I watched some of your videos and I thought, here is this young woman who's actually making sense, saying some politically incorrect things and... Uh, actually doing something good. So how did that happen? What well, got first you into off, this crazy first off, world? thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I think I started off the way a lot of YouTubers nowadays are starting off kind of just as a hobby, something to do for fun, because for all that we rag on social media, I think it has kind of created this atmosphere where people feel like their opinion matters and they want to chip in and they want to contribute, even if they're not getting a lot of recognition for it or money for it. So it was really just a way for me to feel like I was participating in you know, the crazy amount of discourse we were having. And so this was, it'll be three years ago in May that I started um, my first few videos for a while actually were just like little slideshow presentations. My face wasn't in it. Um, And my first ever video I think was about transgenderism. Uh, The whole idea of like transgender versus trans trender. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the idea of many genders, I think. Um, And for a while I kind of put out a video or two a month just for fun. And then eventually I started getting more and more subscribers. And after, it wasn't even that long, maybe eight or so months I was able to make YouTube my full-time job through things like crowdfunding and it was a it's been a pretty crazy ride ever since yeah and you've watching you mature and I watching your ideas sort of come together is Totally been a joy to watch, truly. Thank you. Um, so you went, so first your name was Roaming Millennial. Yes. Did you just feel that you needed to have a moniker and not go by well, your real name to start? I am just the biggest introvert you could ever <laughs> imagine. Like I'm the person in class who never really spoke up unless A, the teacher specifically called on me or, you know, attendance was part of the grade because <laughs> yeah. I wanted to get the good grade. Um, so. Like I wanted to contribute, but I think for a lot of people who are maybe more shy, not to mention the amount that certain opinions get demonized nowadays, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I felt like kind of being anonymous at first, it was safer. I was less embarrassing. People wouldn't really like attribute stuff to me. 
I wasn't necessarily worried about blowback specifically until like I, I got a little bit bigger and then I was like, oh, maybe it is a good thing that, yeah, you know, yeah. my real name isn't attached to it. But, um, you Where know, did Roaming Millennial come from? I just totally made it up. It was just <laughs> like, cause I've moved a lot and I was doing some like HR research at the time for my main job. And so I was very entrenched in the whole like generational separations, um, you know, millennials versus like baby boomers, Gen Xers, whatever. So. Had I known I would end up going by that for like two years, I maybe would have put a little bit more thought into it, <laughs> I feel. But yeah, people still call me roaming and I'm fine with that. You know, you can call me Romy or whatever, I don't mind. Definitely not the worst thing I'm being called right now. So. I don't think, unless I'm making this up, but I don't think I am, I don't think I even knew your name was Lauren until way after I interviewed you. Yeah. I called you roaming and yeah. you just went by roaming and I was like, all right, we'll call her roaming. And you know what's funny? I feel like people who spend a lot of time online are kind of social media circles that doesn't really bother us because I I don't know you've had Rucka Rucka Ali yeah, yeah. on your show and you know I, I'm a fan of his love his stuff he's funny and a really smart guy I think people who maybe just know him for his music don't realize but then I realized the other day like wait what is his real name I, I honestly, just call him Rucka well I truly this very moment I cannot remember what his yeah, first name is and the, I'm fine <laughs> with Rucka. that I don't yeah. feel like I know him less as a content creator because of that but yeah. uh, you know I started doing more like in-person events and kind of you know I was on Fox News and stuff, and that's when I was kind of like, for people who aren't in the YouTube sphere, it is kind of weird to just go by a moniker. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of things scare us, but the worst fear is probably a home invasion. I don't want anyone in my house who's not invited. You can stop fear right at your front door with Simply Safe, an exceptional home security company that knows it feels good to fear less. Simply Safe is award-winning 24/7 protection that protects your home through it all: blizzards, blackouts, and burglars. Simply Safe has won awards from all the tech experts who count. The Verge calls it the best home security, and it's won Reader's Choice from PC Magazine. Simply Safe is a two-time winner of CNET Editor's Choice and a Wirecutter Top Pick. Simply Safe has no contract, no hidden fees, and no gotchas, and they always keep their prices fair and honest. Thanks to Simply Safe, fear has no place in a place like home. Feel safer today. Try Simply Safe with free shipping and free returns. You'll get a 60-day risk-free trial too. Order now and have your home protected within a week. Go to simplysafe.com/ruben to get started today. That's simplysafe.com slash Ruben. Be sure to go there so they know we sent you simplysafe.com slash Ruben. And now back to the show. So were you always interested in politics? Did that, was it always something that Yeah, I mean, you? you're, you're a fellow political science graduate. And oh, you're, you're a political yeah. science? Yeah. That. So yeah. I, now I've been, there's three people that are doing it right. Shapiro was also a political science. Matt Christensen as well. Ah, all right. Yeah. So there's four of us that exactly. actually used poli Our degree, degree in your face, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I'm using my poli sci degree. Uh, yeah, I've, I've always been interested in it. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I'm just interested in, I guess, the way society functions. And I think it maybe stems from a desire to want to improve things. And uh, I, I feel like, you know, every every job, every profession out there is valid and is making our lives better. I just happen to be interested in, you know, kind of systems, governments, families, stuff like that. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about just 
growing up before you were a YouTuber and a somewhat public person. You are half Asian. I've yes. been treating you as a full white person here. I hope that's okay. I, you know, I have been noticing that. Yeah. There's been some microaggressions. Yes. Um, yeah, so Tell I am, me all about your Asian privilege. I am half Chinese. My father's from Hong Kong. I was born in Canada, but I, when I was only a few months old, moved to Hong Kong, and that's really where I grew up. Aside from that, I've also lived in uh, Shanghai, Singapore, and London, and then I came to the States for university. So I've had a pretty like metropolitan mixed background um, in addition to my like racial heritage. And I think coming onto an American campus for the first time was the first time I was really made aware of my race mm -hmm. in a very real way because uh, growing up Eurasian in like Asian expat circles is actually not that uncommon. I'm not gonna say that there's a lot of us, but you do have like quite a few mixed kids in the schools that I was going to, like the American, like kind of foreign expat schools. So I, I never really thought about it. I had friends of all different races growing up and we got along fine. I mean, I'm not gonna say that I was colorblind because I knew like, oh yeah, this person's Indian, this person's white, uh, but it was never uh, uh, a point of contention or anything like that, but you know, going onto a, an American college campus, it was a whole different story. And I think that's what, maybe- What was that like when you first noticed that difference? It was a little bit strange because I remember I was really excited to go to, I'd never lived in America before. I had been going to American schools all my life and you know I had so many friends that were American, but I'd never lived in America before. And I was really excited about it. Because uh, in schools, I, I learned American history and stuff like that, but never lived there. So when I started college, I was really excited to get the American experience because it was almost like a, you know, it was the, the place that movies took place in when, where celebrities were from, where everything I read about in books happened. So I, I, I really like built it up in my head and I was excited to get that experience. But it's funny when I got there and I saw my dorm room assignment, um, USC, which is where I did my freshman year, they have this thing where they, they kind of segregate dorms a little bit. Um, there's like a gay floor, there's a black floor, <laughs> there's uh, like a Muslim housing thing. Um, and I went to look at my room assignments and every single other person that was in my dorm also had an Asian last name. So I was in wow. essentially the Asian ghetto. <laughs> wow. So that was kind of like the first time where I was like, wait, what? Because I had never I'd never really experienced being stereotyped in such an obvious way for that. Uh -huh. And maybe maybe it was just an accident, but I, all I know is that I never volunteered like, hey, yeah, put me with all the other Asians. Um, I well, actually- Well, probably wasn't an accident. I mean, right? I mean, last it's like, 10, right? Like, yeah, there's not yeah. that many Asians at USC uh, right. that it just like, you know, literally every other person in that suite. Uh, there's like, I think maybe like 15 other people. Um, so I applied for a room transfer. Cause I was like, well, I mean, no offense, like I'm sure you're lovely people, but I, I, I didn't come here to just live among other Asians. I want a, you know, just a general mixed American, whatever experience. Um, and so that was like the first instance. And then, you know, uh, aside from that, I, I had, I was approached a lot by people to join like, you know, the Asians in film club or the Asians in this club. And that's when I started to notice that race was a lot, a much bigger deal in America than it was for me growing up in Hong Kong or Canada. So I know you talk about identity politics yeah. a lot now, but what were your politics like before you realized that this whole thing was happening? Well, I mean, I was conservative going into college. I went to college Republican, sorry, yeah, college Republicans meetings when I was 17. So uh, I didn't have really a moment where I was liberal then became conservative, but I, in terms of the race issue, if it's even an issue, I just wasn't thinking about it, right? I was just for like, you know, uh, economic responsibility, 
lower the budget, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I think it kind of, it, it made me feel in a way, I don't want to you know, sound like an SJW, but marginalized the way that they were constantly bringing up my, my Asian-ness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what made me more interested mm -hmm. in cultural issues as opposed to just governmental issues, because I was seeing how, how much of their philosophy was affecting me in my everyday life. And I mean, I have people who, you know, on my channel, they say, you're always talking about culture and social stuff. Why don't you talk about more policy? And I mean, frankly, my viewership, I think it's 75% under the age of 35. And for a lot of these college students or people who have just graduated, this is stuff that affects them every day of their life. Mm -hmm. Like they, they are bombarded in like social media, pop culture with your race is this versus, uh, you know, your race did this. You can't talk about this because of your race. So for these people and for me at the time, that was the biggest thing that was affecting us. Mm -hmm. When you started doing the videos, then were you like, holy cow, there is a world of people talking about this? Because I mean, that's, even though I did come from the left, so I wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, always, let's say on this side, whatever that means. Like when I started talking about these things, I suddenly was like, oh, I'm not the only one. There aren't that many yet. And now they're kind of growing, but it's yeah. a pretty nice feeling to know yeah, there's some other it, people out there. It was, and actually, you know, I grew up, well, I grew up from you know college, like late teens onward, watching people like Steven Crowder, uh, How the World Works, Ali Doran. He doesn't really make videos anymore. By the time he was one of my favorites, he did sort of the whole political like debunking commentary thing, um, and I I so appreciated that because for so long when I was in college, I felt like. I was in a bubble and I was the crazy one. I was the only one with my set of opinions mm. and everyone else thought the same way. So in making my videos, I did kind of hope that maybe for someone else out there, I could be that lifeline that's like, hey, you're not crazy. Someone else also believes this. You're not losing your mind. You're not a racist. You're not a sexist just for thinking differently. Yeah. What about um, just generally what it's like to be a young person that's a conservative? It's not the easiest thing. Uh, and I think conservatives, especially right now, we're so against the idea of like victimhood culture, but I don't think it's playing into victimhood culture to say that it is it is difficult. And, you know, not, not only am I younger, but also being someone who's half Asian and you experience this because you're gay. And I watched your Prager, uh, Prager You show with Candace Owens, like she experiences it because she's black. But when you are a, not even conservative, but just not far just, left. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of these p protected groups uh, that doesn't like fit the mold of who they think should be disagreeing with them, you get even more of an attack, right? Because then you're called, I'm called things like an Uncle Chan. Uh -huh. um, you know, Candace Owens is called really terrible things, you know, I'm but sure. But what is it that they want you to believe as, as a person with some Asian heritage? What is it that they want you to believe? Because it's a little bit different than they, where they can say to gay people, ah, see, we are the ones who got you right, so you better bow to us forever. Yeah. Or black people, we're giving you this or that. What is it? Because Asians have been, by and large, extremely successful yes. due to hard work and family and all those things. Yeah, so well, what is it that they want you to believe? They in? want us to believe that white people don't accept us, still see us as other. Uh, the, I've had you know progressives tell me that the only reason that uh, conservatives watch me is because they think I'm white or that I'm trying to be white or that they're tokenizing me. You know, they're propping me up as a way to say, see, I'm not racist, which is really one of the most racist it's, things I've, yeah. I've ever heard. And that's that is hard. And I think we see like with this like our oppression hierarchy, um, you know, they still like to claim Asians as their own, but at the same time, progressives right now are happy to throw Asians under the bus when it comes to something like affirmative action, which it's it's been documented actually harms Asians. And it's, it's really frustrating, especially, I, I did a, re a video recently on colorism, mm -hmm. which if you're 
yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the idea it. that it's not just race. Sorry, wait. Okay, racism is like prejudice against different races plus systemic power, according to them. And then colorism is like we're talking more about skin tone.、Mm-hmm. So it can even apply to people within the same race.、Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a video about that. And, you know, frankly, I didn't, I didn't even disagree with the idea that colorism exists and that there are some people out there who might prefer like a lighter skinned person to a darker skinned person because. I don't think either of us would say that individual sexism or racism or whatever type of prejudice exists, right?、Mm-hmm. Because people are jerks and,、yeah. you know, jerks. <laughs> there are bad people yeah, out there. Exactly. There's always going to be.、Um, but pretty much in my video, I, I said that I don't think there's enough evidence to say that colorism affects something like prison sentencing, which is、uh, what the MTV video that I was responding to said. And,、um, Also, that Meaning I. Meaning that darker skinned black people. Get longer prison longer, sentences、yeah. than lighter skinned black people because of their race, right?、Um, well, not because just like, of their. Sorry, because of their, of their skin race, tone. Yeah. yeah. So, it's race.、Uh, yeah. yeah. So, pretty much, I was just saying, I don't think there's really evidence to back this up. And I think the conversation surrounding colorism, just like the conversation surrounding racism, it's not so much. A fight for equality anymore as it is to try and bring down the oppressors or those more privileged, right? It, so the conversation surrounding race, I think, has evolved to unfortunately demonize white people in a lot of ways. And what we're seeing in the conversation with colorism is that lighter skinned minorities are kind of being demonized in the same way. And that, that's what my video was about.、Uh, and I got a lot of people quite upset. <laughs> they, were, they weren't happy with that.、Uh, you know, I was told to shut up because、uh, my opinion doesn't matter because I'm not dark skinned. And so I wouldn't know what it's like to be,、uh, experience colorism, which is a nice little bit of irony there that yeah, apparently they didn't incredible. get. And、uh, yeah, I was just、uh, attacked for being, you know, a. Uncle Chan equivalent, just a, a puppet used by white people to try and tear down darker skinned minorities. And it's just, I, I mean, I've been watching your stuff. I don't know if you're feeling like this a little bit lately, but I'm, I'm getting really pretty fed up about it. Fed up of being told that I'm not special enough in terms of diversity points to have my opinion matter. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I think you know this about me. My general disposition is I'm, I'm fairly agreeable and I、mm-hmm. try to be respectful and all those things. But there are these moments where I'm like, Yeah. This thing is so dangerous. It's so out of control that there are these moments where I just want to like unleash hell on these people、yeah. and really like take them down. I'm doing it, I guess, in a, maybe a more、But、casual, I, slower way. I completely understand. And it's funny, when I started making my videos, I was so. Under the impression where it's like, yeah, other people face controversy and backlash, but I'm, I'm so agreeable、right. <laughs> and like, I'm going to explain it in a way where they can't misunderstand me, where it's like obvious that I'm arguing for more equality and stuff like that. Clearly not the case. And I'm still not a provocateur. My goal is never、mm-hmm. to upset people. And I really do, I'm speaking out about these issues because I want more equality. But I am at the point now where it's like, yeah, there, there are some people who are just. Bitter and they're raging ideologues. They don't want to listen. They don't care what you say. They're just going to demonize you based on who they think you are and use your identity to you know, call you a whole bunch of slurs. It's quite awful. It is quite awful.、Yeah. So I know we could, we could sit here all day long、yes. and talk about what's going on with the left and how you know, the, the Prussian Olympics and that whole thing. Do you see any things on the right that you're worried about? Yeah, well, I think you know, politics, it's Almost a game of like back and forth, reaction and then action and then et cetera, et cetera. And so on the right, I'm just worried that there are people on the right who are getting so fed up, like I am, where they're actually saying, for the example, in, in the issue of identity, where they're saying, like, yeah, let's, let's have our own identitarian、mm-hmm. po- politics. 
which is completely the other way of where I think we should be going. And Jordan Peterson speaks out about this too, where it's like if you, if you don't like a game that someone's playing, you don't respond by playing it yourself. You stop. You stop mm-hmm. the game. And I think there are some people on the right that right now are happy to start to you know buy into it it's like maybe yeah we have like a black club we have a hispanic club why not a white club mm-hmm. where it's like you know you have most reasonable people where it's like wait whoa, whoa, whoa let's let's calm down let's let's stop this um so that that's something i'm worrying about on on the right and just in general there are people that are so entrenched in the culture war right now i got people mad at me i lost subscribers uh because i said that the captain marvel movie was pretty good <laughs> that's all i said it was pretty good my brother said it was pretty good too yeah, i haven't like, seen it yet i was i was sort of wanting to boycott it just because of that stupid comment brie larson yeah. made. but i know it's going to fit right into the i know that's movie, why so i, I, I want to so know what happens it, right? okay, okay. Uh, yeah so i said it was pretty good and you know, people freaked out and i just hope with all of this stuff that we don't lose sight of the reason why we oppose the authoritarian identitarians right we keep things in perspective it's it's not so we can have our own group that does the same thing to other Mm -hmm. people it's so we can move past this and try to maybe like calm things down where we can actually talk about issues and policies rather than calling everyone else a nazi or like a i don't know whatever type of fascist yeah You know how they say it's hard to find good help? ZipRecruiter makes it easy. When you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Ruben, you can connect to qualified candidates who are matched just for you and your business. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. We even used it to look for show staff. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate through the site within the first day. Hiring is a challenge, but it doesn't have to be. ZipRecruiter makes it easy. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ruben. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-U-B-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ruben. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now back to the show. So interesting to me because you can watch videos that I was doing before the election where I kept saying, if you guys on the left, when I was saying it was us, right? I was like, if we don't stop calling everyone a racist and stop calling Trump a Nazi and the rest of it, we're going to create this on the right. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like in a weird way, that's almost what they want to do, which makes people like us, our job, I guess, that much more important. Right. And um, the only hope that I have really is that the loud voices that you hear online are not representative of the average person, which I don't think they are, right? You have that vocal minority. And I think most people who are just, you know, living their everyday lives, maybe they have a Twitter account to follow people they actually know in real life, not just like this whole political world that we're wrapped up in. They look at both of these sides and they just think, wow, you guys are insane. (laughs) You're crazy. Yeah. Well, it never stops, right? Like every morning there's another headline about some gender related thing or you know this reverse reverse racism just like any old idiotic thing and every day i'm like oh here's another here's yeah. another and then it's like well, all right should we stop fighting it and just let it be or yeah, and you have to fight it. I, I get people who who say that all the time like why are you still talking about like x issue have you harped on this enough and i mean on one hand i say like yeah i write like this is the 15th video that i've made about it but on the other they're still doing these things so i i'm personally not even sure of what the best way to combat it anymore is do we ignore it pretend it's not happening anymore to not drive more attention to it 
but would that just kind of be being complacent and letting them do whatever they want? It's a hard balance to strike. Yeah, so you mentioned the, the culture portion of this before, and yeah. the tagline for your show is, it's like the, culture, the intersection of culture and politics. And politics. Yeah. Um, I, I find that I'm not that interested in politics anymore, that the culture thing has become yeah. much more interesting to me because the politics thing is after. Yes. Right? Well, everyone says it's downstream, right? That was, I guess, yeah. Breitbart's line. It's, the politics Very is downstream so, yeah. from culture. Um, but everything has become this, right? Yeah, and it's, it's funny because, um, you know, I will have people who will ask me, what do you think about this bill or this policy? Why don't you talk more about um, something like foreign aid? And, you know, my, my background is in political science. I was a researcher for my professors when I was in school. So I am really interested in policy. Uh, it's not that I'm not, but I, I think that right now what's happen happening culturally, this is, we can't even begin to talk about what, for example, presidential candidates think about, I don't know, domestic spending when everyone's being called a racist uh -huh. or a sexual predator, you know, it, it's just, it, it's hard to get to political talking points when you first have to debunk that you're a white supremacist, right? And I really want to get to the point where we can talk about those issues, but right now we have this huge block in front of us. And I think especially when we're talking about younger voters, which are becoming a bigger and bigger influence in elections, so much of what younger voters, you know, what they choose to support is based on things like cultural aspects. So I don't think we can ignore that. Mm -hmm. Do you get uh, a lot of emails or tweets from sort of young lefties, because I think every, by default, most people are lefties. It's just mm -hmm. when they're young. Yeah, yeah. It's media and it's uh, it's Hollywood. Mm -hmm. It's the whole thing. Sort of the default position is you're a lefty. Right. I'm sure you're getting some 16, 17, 18 year olds that are watching your videos and going, whoa, maybe I'm not anymore. Yeah, well, actually. That must feel pretty good. It does. And any time, because you, you probably get the burnout, too, sometimes, where it's like, oh, gosh, I've said something, and now people are... Um, it, it is really encouraging to get someone who says, hey, I love your videos. Uh, I used to be really this way, but you've kind of opened my mind to things, and I, I don't think I identify the same way that I used to. Or even, and maybe not even that, but just someone who says, hey, I'm, I'm a liberal, I'm on the left, but I still enjoy watching your videos for a different perspective. And that, to me, is what's so encouraging and why I keep making videos. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the issues that are on your mind right now? So I've seen you do a lot about the, the gender stuff. Mm -hmm. and Where are you at with the whole transgender movement at the moment? Well, it's, it's funny because uh, as far as I know, I am no way a transphobe. I would never treat someone differently or withhold human rights from them based on how... Uh, on how they identify or anything like that. That's Let's be very me. clear about this so when they clip this video, so <laughs> you don't have an irrational fear of trans people. No, 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 I don't. And you don't no, want I people don't. to be bigoted towards them or prejudicial towards no, them. No, no, I don't. Okay. Um, but I think the whole conversation around gender right now, it's come to a point where we're not just saying, hey, you know, these are people with, uh, you know, this, this medical condition which has been diagnosed, like, let's try to support them uh, in whatever way doctors think are best, you know, let's uh, make sure they don't feel alienated. It's gone from that to um, not only is gender not a real thing, but biological sex is also not a real thing, and also let's, uh, it's okay to give hormones to kids. Mm -hmm. So the conversation has really, really derailed from where it was, I think, even just five years ago, which is, is scary to me, and we do a lot of videos on the show Pseudo Intellectual about how this stuff is affecting young kids, because I think a, a lot of people, they may watch a video that I've done about uh, transgender issues or whatever and think, why do you care? Why does mm -hmm. it matter to you? Like this, stop butting into other people's lives. And 
you know, I, on a person to person level, like I don't care what you do, your body or however you prefer to be your life, go for it. But this matters because of systemic issues, right? It's, it's, it's gotten a lot bigger than that. We have um, laws like in Canada, Bill C-16, that may criminalize speech if you don't use someone's correct pronoun. Um, we actually have cases now where parents are having to go to court because they don't want their children to be given hormones. Mm -hmm. um, so this isn't just a, this isn't just affecting individuals, and this isn't just me being a jerk and not wanting to use this pronoun for you. Um, you know, I'm talking about this issue because it's affecting, I think, individual freedoms and parental rights, and mainly parental rights because we see this coming down into the school systems. So for someone that is paying attention to this, that's doing a lot of videos on these topics for that very reason, mm -hmm. are you shocked how much trans? stuff is the only way I can put it, yeah. is, is just constantly out there. Like it, it seems so disproportionately focused on. It is absolutely disproportionate. And I guess that's partly what you're saying. There. Yeah, no, it is completely disproportionate. And uh, you know, we did a video about rapid onset gender dysphoria mm -hmm. um, because a lot of us kind of just observing might think, wow, it seems like there are a lot more trans identifying people than before. Maybe we're crazy. No, actually, that's correct. Numbers have really skyrocketed, especially among young, younger generations. Um, so they've, they've begun to do studies, and they found that gender dysphoria actually manifests itself, especially among young girls, in social clusters. Mm -hmm. right? if, if there's a teenage or maybe you know, early 20s girl who's now identifying as maybe not a girl, she believes she's trans, it's actually quite likely that in her social group, there is another person that's doing so as well. So this study, I was actually looking at whether it's possible that gender dysphoria could be somewhat of a social contagion, their, their phrase, not mine, um, similar to things like bulimia, anorexia, and things like that. And they actually did found that, yeah, there's a strong correlation. Um, what that means is that the people who are saying Hey, maybe we shouldn't, you know, be teaching this at such a young age, or maybe we shouldn't be, um, you know, glamorizing it as this like new trend because it might affect people. Maybe we are right. Maybe we're not just being crazy and bigoted. And again, what, what's the big deal? So they identify as a different person. A lot of people might be asking. Um, well, you know, becoming whatever you want when it involves things like hormones and potentially surgeries. It, this is a big deal. This mm -hmm. isn't something we should be minimizing. Yeah. Have you found it's hard to find people on the left to talk to these issues about? Yes, yes, it's it's very hard. And the response that I've been met with is that, you know, you hate me, you're denying my humanity, uh, you want to erase me, et cetera, et cetera. It's frustrating because that's, no matter what someone may call themselves, at the end of the day, they're another person. And I I would never wish them harm or want them to be deprived of like, life, liberty, or property, or anything like that. And mm -hmm. I, I would like to think I would also, you know, want to be kind to them, too. So it's, it, is, it is hurtful, like having all those doors close in your face. Yeah. Are you as sort of hopeful what I, for what I would call sort of the new center right that I think is sort of conservatives like yourself? Like there's just a younger breed of conservatives that I think are a little more tolerant on some of the social stuff than the libertarians, say the classical liberals, the ex-lefties, that there really is something growing right now, that for mm -hmm. all the reasons that everything feels crazy, it's actually something really nice taking root right now, I, if, if you can just sort of step away from the craziness for a minute. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, it's very encouraging to see how YouTube as a platform has kind of played its own role in furthering political and cultural conversations among younger people. Wait, so it's not making everyone part of the alt-right? No, right? no. That's, were you on that thing, by the way? I was on that you, thing, That yeah. alternative influencer alternative network, network, which yeah. had no 
this is from data and society. I mean, everyone watching knows yeah. this thing. But you know, there was no scientific basis for that study. All they did. I mean, I'm sure you know. Yeah, this, yeah. Was just draw pictures to all of our names. So you've been on my show. I've been yes. on Rogan's show. Rogan talked to Sam Harris. They drew all this picture, and then the the study basically said we're we're turning people, people far right. Yeah. Uh, but there's been subsequent actual studies where people have shown that we've actually de-radicalized a lot of people mm -hmm. in, in ways. So it's just bananas. Yeah, and actually, uh, Tim Pool, who I know you've spoken to. But I was honored to be on the chart with you. So. Thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, Tim Pool, who I know you've spoken to about, he was yeah. like, yeah, a lot of my connections weren't even real. I didn't yeah. even appear on shows with these people. And, you know, I didn't even bother to check my little connections. <laughs> like, at the end of the day, like, they're not going to care if I was or if I wasn't. I know that I'm not radicalizing people. So it's like, eh, whatever. Um, but are you worried that when things like that come out and then they put you on that, that then we see the way these things get escalated where then it's like, oh, Lauren talked to this person who's an uh, accused white supremacist. Mm -hmm. And now Facebook says you can't be a white supremacist and be on Facebook, but now you're that much closer to them. Yeah. And Ruben talked to this one. And da, 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 da. So I know you, you've talked about, you spoke about social media censorship before, which I appreciate because I feel like more people need to be talking about this. And the reaction that I get from some people is that like, you're paranoid. Like you're just, you know, you're seeing a boogeyman where there's not, if people aren't watching your videos because they don't want to watch it, like people maybe just don't care to engage with your tweets, whatever. Um, you do get called paranoid when you talk about these things, but then you have these lists. <laughs> right, then you are, find out there's a list. Yeah, literally linking you to actual white supremacists and then, you know, someone like YouTube comes out and say, they outright say, yeah, we are going to be um, not recommending extremist or conspiracy content. And you're kind of like, well, I'm on that list. Does that mean I'm ex like, I don't think this is just paranoia yeah. to worry about this. Um, and you know, part of me, like I said, they're going to say what they're going to say. The other part of me is like, wait, this does matter because this affects who can see my videos, my ability to get my message out there. And never mind that. I don't want someone who doesn't know who, who I am, whatever, being told that I'm a Nazi so they shouldn't watch my videos and just write me off entirely. That's not a good thing. Right, and you can also brush a lot of it off your shoulder, but you know, we're still people too. And it's yeah. like when you go to get a slice of pizza, if there's someone standing there that's looking at you and they heard that you're a white supremacist, that's, that's no fun. No, no, for sure. And I think people who fling these words at people online, and I don't know if they really believe it, if they, if there are actually people out there who believe that I am a Nazi and yeah. a white supremacist, or if they're just trying to be, you know, hurtful and inflammatory, but I don't think they realize how much damage that does. Like, not just to, uh, you know, a platform or a career, but just, like, personally. Like, you, you kind of have to defend to people who maybe know you in real life. Like, hey, why are people saying that about you? Because, again, for people who aren't in our crazy online world, maybe they don't know that Nazi is just another word for disagrees with you, yeah. right? Because, I mean, if you told me 10 years ago that so-and-so was a Nazi, <laughs> I would probably been like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But if oh. now it's the boy who cried wolf. Yeah, so every, now Every I'm, time they say that about somebody or one of those things, I start having to really, I now, even lately, I've been thinking about some of the people over the years that were really called this or that, mm -hmm. and I'm like, man, did I really not understand what the actual truth was? And the answer probably is yes. Yeah, and that's that's a scary place to be in if, when words have lost their meaning. Because, I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. I actually do think being a Nazi is a bad thing, like yeah. being a racist Let's or- Let's go on a, the record. Yeah, like full Nazi. disclosure. Not pro Nazism, not pro sexism, not I'm, I'm pro good things, anti bad things. Uh, so like it, 
it's hard when people kind of just muddy the waters and it's like words don't mean anything anymore and you're called the worst things imaginable on a daily basis. Yeah, so how has been working for, uh, for Glenn over at The Blaze? Because um, that's, that's all part of this conversation. Yeah. It's like here's a guy who's, I think, unfairly demonized for a long time and mm-hmm. who has also said that you know he was part of the sort of cable news problem and the outrage thing. Yeah. And he's kind of had his mea culpa about it and he's trying to build bridges now. And it's like, I give that guy a lot of credit. No, no one's perfect and mm-hmm. we've all done things in our past that we're not proud of. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the thing with Blaze TV, what I love about them is that they give us so much freedom and, and just control over our product. So, you know, Anything you see on our show, which all the videos are up on YouTube now, which is another thing I'm happy for them. They've given us the freedom to just give our content to the general public, um, is that we, we, from start to finish, control what we want to say. I have never been fed a line, okay, you have to take this position on on this topic, and you can't say this, don't, don't talk to this person. I've not been told that. Where, I mean, and if you're familiar with how, like, bigger networks operate, that's really rare. That doesn't happen all the time. And I don't mm-hmm. think people understand that. And I still get people all the time who come to me, I'll be tagged like, hey, like this person who's also on Blaze TV said this and this, how could you work with someone that blah, blah, blah? <laughs> or did you see what X person said? It's like, I don't know what they say. Like, and they can say whatever they want. I'm gonna say what I say. And I think there are some people who are so into purity testing that they can't even imagine a network or a, you know, a platform where that doesn't happen, where not everybody needs to toe the same line about the same issue. And I think that like, it, it boggles their minds. Yeah, do you hold any positions that are sort of outside of what general conservative Conservatives? or? Because um, I think of you a little bit more as a libertarian generally. I, I actually did go through my libertarian phase in college. Um, I used to call myself a conservatarian, um, but now like with issues like the the border which i know is kind of even among libertarians themselves are not really together on so like i i generally just call myself a conservative right now i don't know if there are issues oh i I got one the environment Mm -hmm. um i think there are definitely people on the right who don't believe climate change exists at all i i i am not one of those people um and then you know going even further that there are some people on the right who do believe that climate change is an issue but they don't think that government should be involved um, I, I wouldn't be against, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a green initiative that I, I would support, but just in general, well, I, some sort of public private combination. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I, I don't want the green new deal. That would be one of the worst things that could happen just for, for many reasons. Wait, you um, don't think that a freshman Senator who's never done anything other than win reelection no, could funny. write a document that would uh, that. reorganize the entire economy? You yeah. And just that, introduce UBI as like a footnote. No, yeah. No, and you don't have to work in Cal farts and yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. You don't no, think that's a good that. idea. Um, but yeah, that is, I would say that I'm more environmentally conscious than maybe other people on the right. Um, what else? Also, uh, the issue, I don't know if people on the right are against prison reform. I don't think they're against it, but I think we don't talk about it enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think maybe I put more importance on that than other people on, on the right do. Yeah. What, yeah. what do you make of this uh, Trump guy? Have you heard of this guy? Yeah, I've, I, think I, I think I saw him on a tweet or something. Was it a tweet yeah. uh, on, um, on the tweeter? Yeah. So I'm one of those people who never thought that Trump would win. That was like unimaginable to me. Um, but now that he has, I think he's done a lot of good for conservative values. And I am someone who will never defend what comes out of his ma- mouth in terms of what he said about Rosie O'Donnell or uh, who was that? Who is Horseface again? Which one was that? 
Someone was uh, horse face. Who was horse face? Stormy Daniels, I Stormy think. Daniels, yeah, okay. you know, it's like I'm not on board with that. But in terms of, I guess, what his administration has implemented, I mean, right now, in terms of the economy, black people, uh, Hispanic people, women, their unemployment rates are at record lows. I think that's something that everybody, regardless of how you feel about Donald Trump as a person, should be happy for. Yeah, for some reason, the congressional Democrats couldn't applaud that at the State of the Union. Yeah, Union. weird. That eh? Yeah, that was that was strange. It's like I thought you were for that, and you know, never mind. Like black entrepreneurship is also at an all, all time high, and uh, something that frustrates me is that I get called like anti black a lot, and it's like, well, policies that I support have led to this. You know, led to these people having jobs, being able to start their own businesses. Like that to me is the most pro black you could possibly be empowering these people to you know take control of their own lives and be able to be successful based on their own merit which they absolutely have have you figured out any tricks to to win over those young people who are on the fence like just um, a story that you can tell or just a tactic that you have i think overall just being willing to really understand what your opponent is saying does go a long way with some people um, because i've had people comment that I'm glad you don't try to oversimplify things or, you know, shy away from issues that maybe don't make your side look good. Um, and again, like I'll, I'll bring about the environment. I'm not saying that I absolutely do not believe that the government uh, should be just putting all the money into solar and wind in the hopes that something happens. Um, but am I going to deny that I think we should be talking about the issue of the environment? No, I'm not. And I think just being able to have that goes a long way for some people. And then, I mean, of course, there are these these ideologues who you're never going to connect with. And I, that's something that I've had to come to terms with, that some people just don't want to listen and there's nothing you can say that was going to change their mind. But for a lot of people, I think they understand when someone's being, or at least trying to be rational and reasonable. Yeah, so even though you've bounced around the world and you've done your roaming thing, you're, you're based in Canada now. Mm -hmm. Is it weird to you sometimes to think how much of what you think about and talk about and focus on is actually all coming from another country? Well, it's funny. I, I have people all the time who say, like, why do you always talk about American politics? I don't really talk about politics that much. Uh, I'm kind of like you. Right, like, so this I, goes to the culture. Yeah, it goes to the culture. And I had someone, I made a comment about the hashtag my white privilege thing that was going around and I was told to stay out of American politics and my <laughs> response was like how is this American politics because um, these cultural issues they don't end at borders because the internet doesn't end at borders right this yeah. online presence doesn't end at borders so especially when I'm talking about issues like uh, gender or race where we have our extremely liberal government that's actually putting these kinds of ideologies into law I think I'm absolutely talking about something that applies to my country and I think it's something that it's funny like maybe some of these Americans who are on the left they're trying to tell me to butt out um, if I were perhaps I mean this is like it's all, all conversation but if I were perhaps an undocumented immigrant mm -hmm. they maybe weren't wouldn't be so uh, like anti-foreign um, but also I just I think that some people need to recognize that culture is it doesn't stop at borders. And so like these issues affect Canadians, these issues affect Brits. And my, my breakdown of who watches my show, it's like about 60% Americans, um, but then I have like a good 10% Canadians, 10% uh, of Brits, and you know, the rest of the Anglosphere, the Australians. So this, these really are global issues. So basically, you're in California right now. If we could get you to overstay <laughs> your visa or something, not visa, you're just visiting. Yeah, I'm just like, visiting. Yeah, we just get you to cancel your return flight and then just you just hide out here. 
will make you an illegal immigrant, and right. then you can argue as an illegal immigrant. And then maybe they will listen to me. You'll see how quickly they turn against exactly, that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That'll yeah. be. Yeah. I have thought about that before, but no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that will, that will not go over well. <laughs> yeah. Um, wh what are some of the other? Oh, so you mentioned the my white privilege mm -hmm. uh, hashtag that was yes. going around. So for people that have no idea, for the people that are oh, sane gosh. enough not to be on Twitter, I envy, what was my I envy white those hashtag, people. Uh, uh, my white privilege. So it was this hashtag that was started on Twitter and it ended up trending, um, and it was meant for just white people to check their privilege, to mention uh, instances or maybe trends they've notice that are due to their whiteness, a privilege that they know that a non-white person would not get. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I don't deny the idea of privilege exists. Like, I, coming from a two-parent household, I've lived a lot of places, I've gone to good schools, I absolutely acknowledge that I've had privileges that a lot of people haven't had. You know, that's... Is that privilege or is that just life experience? You've had a life experience. Well, I think it's like they're kind of, they're kind of interchangeable. Like, I don't have systemic privilege, but I've had you know, things that afforded to me in my life that other people haven't had and life's not fair and I don't think anyone would dispute that life isn't fair. Um, and that's that. But I think, you know, the idea when other people mention white privilege, they're talking about the idea that for white people, um, you know, their skin color affords them certain privileges that non-white people don't have. Um, and I think that's a very, very toxic mentality. And if you, I was reading some of those tweets and just like blood pressure just raising oh, through the it, roof. It, it as was, I was painful to read some of them. It, it really is. self-flagellation. Yeah, oh, oh my gosh, it's like the, you, you can kind of like almost imagine these like white progressives like on their knees trying to <laughs> grovel down before their non-white friends and like apologize for the whiteness of their skin. It's, it's, it's depressing and embarrassing to watch, I think. And you know, they, they talk about things like, I got pulled over by a cop and then he didn't give me a ticket. Hashtag my white privilege. And it's like, well, I mean, sometimes cops, like I personally, I, I've never been pulled over and not gotten a ticket. I've only gotten a ticket once, but it's like, I've never been given that kind of, you know, leeway. Uh, you know, I've had teachers maybe who were a, a little more lenient for me. Is that because I'm white or is it because I'm a female or was it because I'm a good student? There's where we are so keen to attribute motive to people. Mm -hmm. And like, it just reinforces this idea that yeah, white people are privileged and it's, annoying because now merely denying the existence of white privilege makes you a racist and yeah. a bigot. This podcast is brought to you by the guys over at Vincero Watches. To kick off our partnership, the guys at Vincero were kind enough to send me one of their watches. I gotta tell you, I've been wearing this watch for weeks and I've been getting a ton of compliments. I've got it on my wrist right now and it looks good. These watches are the real deal. If I didn't know how much it cost, I would have guessed it was at least a $500 watch, but these guys sell them for just a fraction of that. In fact, Vincero has over 15,000 five-star reviews from people who've all had their expectations exceeded just like me. As a special thank you to my listeners, Vincero is offering an extra 15% off everyone tuning in with code Ruben. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-O watches.com forward slash Ruben for an extra 15% off. I'm wearing the Chrono S in rose gold, but they have dozens of watches to choose from and all of their watch straps are interchangeable so you won't have any problem finding one that fits your life and your style. Now, if you're the kind of guy that just likes to be told what looks good, I went ahead and picked out my top four watches at Vincero. You can go to vincerowatches.com forward slash Ruben to see my favorite styles. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-O watches.com slash Ruben. And don't forget to use code Ruben to get that 15% off. And now back to the show. Do you think it's fair to say that these people are the new racists? 
like if I was to really pick, like I don't like doing this because mm-hmm. you said something before, you don't want to become yeah. what you're fighting against. So I don't want to start walking around and, and labeling these people ra- racists and all of the things that they have no problem labeling the yeah. rest of us. But if you were to ask me where does racism come from in America today, it is coming from the left. If Where does sexism come from in America today? Mm-hmm. All cisgendered white Christian men are this. All white people are this. These are, these are leftist ideas that aren't just like ephemeral things happening on Twitter. These are things that, they're, that the lefty politicians are talking about, that yeah. the presidential candidates for the Democrats are talking about. Yeah. So that's why it's so dangerous to me. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I, would know, I have friends who are on the left and progressive um, who, are, who I, I do think at the end of the day want equality. I think we have different ideas about how to get there. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't just based on someone being a progressive call them racist. But I think if you if you are someone who thinks that because of the color of their skin, someone is not entitled to have an opinion about a certain issue, that is racist. If you if you are someone who thinks that, you know, this person, because of their skin color, is entitled to either more or less of a, of a starting point or a advantage or disadvantage, then you are a racist. And I think that's historically generally kind of been the agreed upon definition mm-hmm. of racist. So yeah, it, like there's no reverse racism, it's just racism. It's just racism. Yeah. I was talking to somebody, a, a progressive, uh, who's a family friend and we were getting into it. And I said, are you for affirmative action? And she said, yes, we have to help minorities get more jobs. I said, are you for discriminating against white people? And she said, no. And I said, well, how do you, how do you, how do you now negotiate? How do you reconcile those yeah. two things? And I said, well, what about your kids? She has three kids. I said, well, what about your kids? Do you think your kids happen to be white? Do you think that everything being equal, if they're going up against a minority, they should not get the job? And she was like, well, no, because then you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. And I said, well, you, you yeah. just made the reverse argument. But they, they can't quite get over that sort of disconnect mm-hmm. and that's what I think we have to keep doing to, to yeah. get them there to make them realize I think I think you're absolutely right and I think for a lot of progressives they do think that they're doing the right thing almost maybe even a little bit of a white savior complex mm-hmm. I would say they need mm-hmm. to come in and rescue them but um, when it comes to like affirmative action specifically it frustrates me that so many people on the left are keen to conflate class with race um, you know, because they'll say like, oh, well, you know, for black kids, they don't have the same resources growing up in schools. And it's like, well, hang on. Like, I went to good schools. We had some black kids that were definitely richer than my family <laughs> or, or, you know, like vice versa. And it's like well, they were sellouts. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you want to have a conversation about class and school funding, then let's have that, which I actually, you know, I think one of the privileges that is kind of undeniable is that some kids uh, are afforded more luxuries in their schools or whatever than other kids. You know, an inner city kid is not gonna have the same education or whatever. So let's try to address that and say how we can improve the inner city schools and stuff. Right, that's where you'd have the conversation. If you were to go the average average elementary school in Beverly Hills, guess what, it's way more funded than the average school and the in, teachers in the have different city. qualifications. So, so how do yeah. we deal with that? Okay, yeah. that, then that's a good starting spot. But unfortunately, that's not the No, because this then they want to make it all about race. And it's like that distinction matters because how we see the problem affects how we, assol- how we solve the problem. Um, so it's like you and I can't just kind of go to them and it's like, hey, here are our you know, proposals for like a budget or you know, how to deal with teachers, unions, whatever for the schools when they see the problem as systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to get anywhere with people like that. And it's, it's frustrating because like that whole narrative and it, i i get flack 
I get accused of like, oh, you don't really care about, you know, the black community or whatever. You're just kind of like you're you just like to say whatever racist stuff you want. And it's like, no, I am trying to like, I make videos trying to talk about, you know, the the importance of fathers and families that, you know, how important it is to have economic freedoms that really allow people to succeed. It's like that actually is what I think would be most useful to to vulnerable communities of whatever color. And but, there's a ton of evidence that supports that, yes, actually, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah. yeah, but it's like they don't, because it doesn't feed into the narrative of systemic racism, they don't even want to hear it. And they, they accuse you of not wanting to help. How much of this do you think is just, for young people especially, um, it's just the excesses of the West? Mm -hmm. That we have, things have gone so well for us now for so long. If you live in America, you're basically free. Yeah. You're not, you, you are free, you may have problems, but you are free. You live in the freest society ever. Mm -hmm. And that young people now who can play Fortnite all day long or watch porn or whatever the hell else there is to do or play video games or whatever, it's like they now have to find problems with everything and what's the easiest thing to do once you find the problem? It's just to burn the whole system down, not to actually yeah. acknowledge that, whoa, this took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears of generations before you. Yeah, that's such a good point. And not only are people free in the US, they are economically prosperous by any metric. If you take someone who's living in poverty in the United States and you compare it to a global level, they're still doing pretty mm -hmm. dang well. You know, as someone who grew up in Southeast Asia, you know, Hong Kong and Singapore are very prosperous countries, but I visited two places like Indonesia and Thailand where they're like, that actually is structural poverty. So, you know, I'm able to recognize how privileged we are just to be in the West. Um, and I think a lot of millennials now, uh, they've been painted a picture where capitalism has failed. The American dream is dead. AOC says that all the time. Mm -hmm. Like we're living in a, like, you know, all the billionaires have all the money, the working class, we're screwed, we don't have anything. That's not true. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that issues like high tuition don't exist and stuff. You know, absolutely, they do. We should talk about it. But overall, we are living in such tremendous affluence and prosperity and equality that the fact that there are people, you know, saying, no, this is so broken, we need to start all over and tear it all down, it, like, freaks me out. Can you move to... New York and run against AOC. <laughs> what do I? What do I have to do to make this I don't happen? Think that would Can work. I crowdfund you some campaign finance? What are we talking about? It would about take here? a lot of campaign finance to get me to New York. I, <laughs> I tell you that, <laughs> not my favorite city. But I mean, I think even people are starting to wake up to the fact. Like we had the whole Amazon debacle, right? Um, and at the end of the day, like yeah, people love this sort of like socialist populist rhetoric. But you know what else they love is just actual jobs. And so when you know when we had Amazon being chased away, we did have like angry New Yorkers being like. Okay, but wait. <laughs> 25,000 jobs, yeah, like I, everyone loves Amazon, it's exactly. all cheap, it gets there fast. Even if you don't work for Amazon, you get to be part of like the growing economy surrounding and providing support to that, to that business. Uh, I think people are, at the end of the day, what they want more than anything else is jobs. And like not necessarily the promise that I don't think is even possible to provide of like, oh, just all, all this free stuff. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I'm hoping for, uh, but it is, it is really, I don't know, depressing, frustrating, uh, sad, whatever negative word you want to use, uh, to see a generation of millennials, socialists, communists, whatever, um, completely misrepresent the environment that we are living in now and not recognize how lucky they are.
Yeah, we got to wake yeah. these people up. But I guess I guess you're doing a pretty good job. Well, I you know I've read people suggest we should have some sort of like internship study abroad program where we just send people you know these progressive, mainly white, rich millennials uh, to places like Venezuela or just like you know foreign <laughs> places where they can yeah. maybe see a little bit more of the outside world beyond their bubbles or what they've been fed to really really see how the U.S. stands or the West in general compared to other countries. What do you make of a free college thing? I suspect you're not for free college generally, but but what about just college as an institution because of the brainwashing that's going on? Are you even for young people going to college at this point? I have so many feel because, you know, I'm someone who I really, I worked my butt off when I was in high school to kind of get to the best college that I could. Um, I, I took it really, really seriously when I was in college. I worked for my professors. Uh, you know, all my friends were in academia. Uh, it was kind of like assumed because I was in that world that I would go on and have my master's and stuff. And I have a lot of respect for academia. Um, but at the same, and I would never say that college is useless, but at the same time, I think we're reaching a point now where A, so so much of what colleges do now is not really instruction, but it's indoctrination. And B, the return on a college degree, especially if you're taking something like a gender studies or feminist theories degree or whatever it may be, the, the return is not worth it. You're saying you can't get a job with lesbian badminton degree? I mean, is BuzzFeed hiring? I don't, that's <laughs> essentially the only place that I would know that would look at it. But I, I think we, we need to kind of reevaluate how we see college because, you know, other countries, they have really, they have things like uh, trade schools and things like that where you know, it's not anti-education, because I'm not anti-education. Mm -hmm. I'm always pro-education. More knowledge is always good, but college is not the only way to get education. And I think colleges, if you look at what they're spending money on, they've really inflated the number of administrators they have. You have entire diversity boards and things now. It's like, where did you come from? Who's paying your salary? Well, the students are. And I don't think it's worth it. Uh, you know, President Trump, he's actually taking measures now to try and enforce freedom of speech on campuses, which I think is really important. Um, but I am against the idea that everybody needs to go to college. The only way to be successful is to go to college. And I think by, by doing that, we've kind of like, we've made the leftists in academia untouchable because they have like wave after yeah. wave of student who's, you know, willing to pay whatever to get in so they can be indoctrinated. But isn't that sort of the brilliance of it when you hear Bernie say, Bernie's like, smart. okay, free college for everybody. So what can we do? We're gonna send them for free, which obviously is yeah. not free. They'll be indoctrinated into these ideas even further. And mm -hmm. then what does he do when you get out? Well, now you're gonna be guaranteed a federal job. Yeah. That sounds horrible. Can you imagine anything that sounds worse than no. that? No, and it's like- you, with, you, you can never get out and you're gonna be some pencil pusher doing just nothing part, yeah, that's not for you. A cog in the system essentially. And what I think, I really haven't seen many people who are suggesting free tuition uh, talk about is, okay, if it's all government subsidized, fine, but like how do we lower costs? Because it shouldn't mm -hmm. just be about who pays it, but how much they're paying. Mm -hmm. And you know, costs in the United States have risen so much faster uh, than inflation when it comes to college. And there are a lot of different factors, like, you know, like the student loans, the way that you can't get rid of uh, student loan debt with bankruptcy. There's a whole bunch of things, but I don't see enough people talking about how to lower those costs back down to what, what they used to be. Because, I mean, you have people who, if you if you go to some, somewhere like USC, uh, it's going to be like, what, 60K a year. So that's like 240,000 by the time you're done. And it's like, it's ridiculous. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't cost that. I don't think I made $240,000 in all of my 20s. If I took all of the money yeah. I made, I'm sure I didn't all those years of and struggling comedy. And it's yeah. like, that's what you're paying to go to college. And never mind the interest on that, right? Yeah. So no, it's, 
like, you know, uh, on the right and kind of like centrist, we make fun of those people with $240,000 worth of debt for their useless arts degree. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think, like, I'm not going to deny that there's a problem with college costs. It's just that I don't think the answer is, okay, so just full-on socialism government pays everything for it. I think we need to have a conversation about how to lower those costs again. Yeah. And uh, I think right now students are paying for a lot of diversity and administrative faculty. Uh, they're paying for a lot of uh, research done by their professors, which is, I mean, kind of great because American universities are really at the forefront worldwide of any type of research, but at the same time, it's like, at what cost? Mm -hmm. It's costing the American students. And I think community college is a great alternative, uh, you know, because obviously it's, it's a lot more affordable. And heck, if you if you still want that, that you know, whatever name, brand, university, Harvard, the, the Yale or whatever, you can always transfer after you get your associates. Yeah. All right, a couple more for you. Sure. Let me ask you some, I'll turn identity politics on you, uh, which would be, why aren't there more women in this space? You're one of the few, Ali Stuckey, mm -hmm. there's, there's a couple, um, but, but I wish there were more women, not, not for identity politics purposes, mm -hmm. but partly just a little bit for the optics of it so that when we're all getting attacked for all this stuff, it's like, here's the, here's the low resolution part of this. Here's more women, yeah. even though it has nothing to do with your ideas and everything else. Well, I Which think, is really what matters, of course. I think the reason why there aren't more women in this sphere is kind of why there aren't more women in politics in general, is that this is a very aggressive sphere. It really is, and I think for, for me even, it's it can be overwhelming for a lot of people who, you know, right, you, you put your ideas out there and then you're gonna just get attacked, like, ruthlessly. So, and I'm not saying that men don't as well, but I think maybe uh, as, as, a, as a female identifying person, like whatever the <laughs> PC, it, you know, it, for, for a lot of women, it might be a little bit harder to just say, okay, like, let me brush that off, move on, and, and forget about it. Um, especially if you are a woman who's speaking out against progressive ideas, you're going to get even more attention than maybe a white male that's doing so. Because I think a lot of people figure, oh, another white guy who hates feminism, who cares? But if you're a woman, then it's like, you're, you're, you're going against the grain. It's like error in the system and they really feel the need to double down. I mean, regardless of what you think about the Trump family, the way that Melania and Ivanka Trump are treated, mm -hmm. I think most of us would agree is completely vile, sexist, the things that they're they're called. And it's unfortunately kind of par for the course for conservative women or, you know, someone who is gay and speaking out against the left or, or black, you get that much more pushback. Yeah. So it, I think that alone, unfortunately, is enough for a lot of people to say, I don't know about this. I don't know if it's for me. So are you hopeful for the future? Ooh. <laughs> um, uh, you know what? I think my, my answer kind of goes back and forth for that. There are some days, you know, um, when, for example, I see people speaking out against maybe the Gillette ad. And not, not being, like, totally irrational and, you know, wanting to burn cars down over a commercial, because that's all it is at the end of the day, but kind of saying, like, okay, this is stupid. You don't need to do this to sell razor blades. Uh, you know, it's days like that where I think, okay, good, most people have kind of wanted to leave all of this identity mm. politics in the, in the trash grate. And then there are other days, like, I, I knew during the Kavanaugh hearing, where I'm like, okay, never mind. Just this was a mistake. Asteroid. Just we're ready. We're ready. <laughs> so I, I I go back and forth. But I think if looking at Gen Z, they're one of the uh, 
generations most ready to like reject this whole like far left thing that we've seen in a while. So I don't know about how hopeful I am for millennials, but I think maybe the, the next generation a little bit more. Yeah, that's actually exactly where I was gonna end this. Yeah. That suddenly there is this now burst of younger people. You're gonna, yeah. be, you're gonna be old to these people, I hate to tell you. That's okay. <laughs> but, but that are now coming out and going, whoa, we've seen the last five years mm -hmm. of abject hysteria and lunacy, and now they are becoming more conservative and maybe that is the silver lining out of all of this. Yeah, well, because I think, and people make fun of this meme, but it's kind of true, where it's like, conservatism is almost counterculture right now. And mm -hmm. a lot of people on the left laugh about that, but I mean, think about it. If you are a young person who's in school right now, like all of your teachers, you know, all of the media that you watch, the, the, the school books you're being given to, that are given to you, they all push this progressive agenda. So what do you do if you want to rebel against that? Because let's face it, young people, if there's like tales old as times that young people like to rebel, we like to be different. We like to like, I'm doing my own thing. We've all been teenagers. Yeah. Um, so how does a young person do that right now? Well, it's not by kind of committing yourself to PC life and culture. That's not, that's not edgy. That's not against the grain. It's by saying, no, like, I'm going to listen to this offensive comedian. I'm going to listen to, like, you know, one of the, the people who I, I hear my professors or my parents or whatever telling me not to watch, you know, like the Jordan Petersons, the Dave Rubens, yeah. the Ooh. real scandalous, Ooh. spicy oh, ones. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I don't want conservatism to just become something people do to or believe in to get back at other people. But I'm hoping, you know, if maybe there's that little bit of like tantalizing um, force to get them there, then once they start watching the videos, they'll see that, oh, this does make the most sense. So I'm not only doing this to get back at my teachers or my parents or whatever, but this actually does seem like an ideology, a belief system that can help people succeed by themselves and can promote equality. Yeah. Well, I just want to say that I think what you're doing is awesome. And the fact that you've grown so much in the two and a half years since we did that little oh, uh, thank you. YouTube week thing. I mean, you're, you're becoming a star in the space and it's it's great. We need people like you. And as Homer Simpson said, you're a person like you, right? I am a person like me, yeah, thank you. And, and yeah. you know, just back at you, uh, watching you and Dr. Peterson go on go on your tour and everything, it's, it's great because it's almost like this is becoming mainstream, right? It's not some like little internet niche to disagree with these people. Like there are real people in all of these cities who are attracted to these these ideas and this movement and it's really encouraging. All right, let's keep going then. Yeah. <laughs> For more on Lauren, follow her on Twitter at the Lauren Chen.